Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So when we last we spoke, we were just a couple days away from invasion. The Russians had amassed yet 130,000 troops there to the south. Never mind what you have in Belarus. You're going to see invasion. You see U.S. troops deployed to Poland. Poland saying they're willing to take American refugees. Well, you're going to be taking a lot more. You're going to be getting millions of refugees streaming across the border. They won't be going to a place like Moldova. They'll be going to Poland. How do they deal with this? And what exactly will stop Vladimir Putin from going far further than Kiev? Well, that was that was everything yesterday. But today, today there's a new story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. That is the number. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, the story today is that we're seeing Russian troops leave. We're seeing Russian troops done with their military exercises, quote-unquote, and now they're heading back to their bases. Does this mean there was never going to be an invasion? Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired U.S. Army, West Point graduate, military analyst. Uh, Let's break this down a little bit because, of course, this is the word of the Russians and not necessarily the word of, of fact. What is this new tact and take, or is there anything to take from it? Tony, I think that this is all just part of what uh, Vladimir Putin is trying to do to per- perhaps uh, some kind of uh, misdirection. And, you know, all of warfare's deception is what uh, Sun Tzu said. Um, there's only a few troops that, that he said are doing this. They were along that border there. Um, maybe there's some problems within the ranks of the Russian troops. Uh, I, I, again, I, what's, what's going through their minds sitting on that border there for the past two months? It's getting cold. It's, it is cold, and they don't have the, the best support. You look at the pictures that we get. They're all in the snow. So I, I, there's, it's hard to say. It's coming from, from Russia as well, so I, I don't necessarily take it all uh, for fact. Um, and, and this attack, when it starts, will likely come from the air anyway. I don't think you're going to see this blitzkrieg on the ground, at least within the first 48 hours. So when we hear, hey, uh, it's, it, you know, they're going back to their bases. You know, uh, this is how the Russians describe it. it the Americans, they, they said all this about invasion. They, they just got worked up for nothing. That's an interesting play to try and get people to say, yeah, when, when America talks, they're just, you know, just an old man, just rantings and things like that. And when I say it's a weird play, I mean, it's a weird, strange play to try and make that your argument. But some in Moscow are trying to make that argument. Who does that work for? Yeah, it doesn't work for anybody. I don't get it either. I think that um, we, we've got to make sure that if we're going to use diplomacy here, that we don't, you know, we, we've got to find out win-win here as the bottom line, if that's what it's going to take. You saw that in, in the Russian Politburo, they voted certain areas in the southern part of Ukraine as sovereign nations, and perhaps maybe that's what the play is. They're just going to more or less take over those areas if they go into Ukraine. But um, if let's say um, Vladimir Putin does not invade and, and, and there's no, it's the status quo in, in two weeks, 
you know, we can't on our side, if we start claiming this great foreign policy victory, we just get this whole scenario back again because he'll look very weak within his own people. So, I, you know, it's going almost to the point where, you know, we've dared them to, to go this far. And so let, let's hope that we can talk them out of it at some point, at least uh, unless, unless the Ukraine can come up with some agreement that the Russians will, will go for. Uh, but so far, they really haven't done that. This is where it gets more and more confusing because all politics are local and i don't think it changes in this case how has this been playing in russia in moscow we certainly know that there are economic issues in moscow we know that the nord stream 2 pipeline is extremely important to them to be able to get dollars because they have energy they can't necessarily uh sell in other places uh, are, are on the market of course while they may be engaged in military exercises with china they recognize that china is eventually the enemy it's just a question of timing and they have a nation that they need to rebuild so if you're moscow if you if if you're a citizen and you don't see a movement from from vladimir putin in ukraine are you relieved or are you saying well what the hell was all this then I think they're going to say relieved. I think if he gets assurances from Ukraine, from the United States, I mean, he wants a treaty, let's say, and he can then go back to that population and say, um, we're going to continue to push our gas through that, the Nord Stream pipeline. So that that's not going to shut down. We're continuing that. We're going to see um, money from, from that operation. So I think that's a, a positive. Um, I think that, um, you know, he, he's got to give something back. He might get something from, let's say, uh, the Ukraine government itself, um, you know, maybe even even cash. I'm going to have to buy their way out of this situation on some level. So, I, you know, he also controls the narrative inside his state. I, I you know, we, we it's not, not as bad as, let's say, China is, but from, from some level, um, you know, the Soviet, the, the former Soviet Union, Russia there has got, uh, you know, the same kind of restrictions for the people that, that we might think we have. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point graduate, military analyst. Uh, you are now the Ukrainian forces. You're the Ukrainian government. And you hear this report. Are, do you laugh to yourself and say, yeah, okay, uh, let's see what happens five days from now? Are you now engaged in some other conversation in order to ensure this doesn't happen? And what does this tell – what is the signal to you about how you'll have to prepare for the future? Yeah, I, I'm really concerned about them. They've got to be on very high alert, and that's a very difficult position to be in. Um, it's just – to be that vigilant on a 24-7 basis is very difficult for any military it really taxes them out. It's going to tax the civilian society out as well. This is the same tactic that uh, the Middle Eastern countries used to bankrupt Israel back in the 70s when they would continue to move troops to the border. You know, you, not a lot going on in Ukraine right now because this, because they're all waiting to do this. If you're the Ukraine military, you're trying to get as much intel as you can from the United States, for example, and making sure that that continues to happen and likely getting advice and counsel from uh, into other intelligence agencies about where you think this attack is going to be. Um, Ukraine's seven, eight hours ahead, two different time zones there. Uh, so you're, we're you know, almost getting into nightfall there right now. I, I'd like to think that any attack comes early in the morning when it usually does, middle of the night. So this is when they're on their highest alert, and it's the most difficult time to be a soldier in, in Ukraine right now. We know what happens if they do attack. It's clear that the Russian military can overrun anything the Ukrainians have to offer. We can be assured that it could be a very, very bloody, though very quick uh, kind of movement. 
But if the Russians don't, if the Russians actually are going to pull away from the southern border, what does this do to the Ukrainian conversation regarding NATO? Something that you have been very vocal here on the show, uh, that you oppose uh, a, a, a growing NATO and Ukraine's membership in, in NATO. If you're Ukraine and Russia does indeed pull and there's no invasion this year, what happens? Yeah, nothing. And, and it's not just the United States that could try to pull for this. The bottom line is Germany would not vote for Ukraine to be in NATO. Neither would Turkey. Turkey gets a lot of its uh, some commerce with Russia when it comes to air defense platforms, again, for whatever reason, given it's a NATO country. So in order to become a member of NATO, you've got to have every nation uh, in NATO approve of it. So Ukraine wouldn't make it. They wouldn't get there from here. And I, so I, I don't think that that's ever going to be an issue. They're going to continue to be in a, you know, this state until something changes at Russia. A uh, new leader in Russia, you know, we could get a, you know, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Vladimir Putin eventually will go at, at some point. And who takes his place? Will it be the same thing we saw last time when, when Russia had this, this revolution, this, this bloodless revolution 30 years ago? Um, they tried to go this to the to the openness platform. Uh, whoever takes Vladimir Putin's place uh, could possibly change that. But uh, unfortunately, until then, Ukraine is going to be well aligned towards Russia and towards the East than it is towards Western Europe. That that alignment has been a big part of the conversation. How the Ukrainians see themselves. I had sent you a text last night. I'm like. Uh... I know that there are Ukrainians who see themselves as ethnically Russian, right. and so they don't mind this. I, but wh- what is it in the totality of, of the nation? I had this conversation with Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine, yeah. and he said, look, you, you look at the Donbass region, sure, they see themselves as ethnically Russian. But where they viewed themselves a decade ago, really different than where they view themselves today. So I have been making the argument that people in the eastern part of Ukraine don't necessarily mind the idea of returning back to being uh, being Russian or being part of Russia. That may not 100% be the case. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is because the democracy has somewhat failed in Ukraine. It's not this uh, you know beacon of democracy that they have the same kind of corruption that that you see from these countries that are trying to you know get to that place, and it's because. They don't have the same level of constitution and, and rights that we have because the leaders of these countries just still don't give up the power. And most of the old former Soviet bloc countries, while they were given their freedom, you'll see that at the executive level, most of those people have hung on for many years. And look at look at Kazakhstan, look at the stands, look at those other countries. Really, only Poland has embraced that, but in some ways, that those seeds were set well before that revolution took place in the 90s. But so, so again, um, Vladimir Putin controlled about 30% of the Ukraine parliament for the past five years without even firing a shot. So that that's why he's, he's got to be going for the whole thing if he thinks he already can't do it right now, because to your point, the people in the southern part of the Donbass region are well aligned towards Russia anyway. So now let's place our bets. What are the odds that we see invasion in the next 2448? I'm going lower now. I, I was a little bit higher a few days ago, Tony, but since we've been talking and seeing what's going on, I think that there's they're buying more time. The Russians are buying more time and trying to get to get more information with regard to what they're going to get out of uh, these these uh, Western European countries. Uh, if they could get some kind of treaty, if they get assurances that U.S. missiles, for example, don't hit Romania, they get other things. I think that will be declared victory from Vladimir Putin's perspective and perhaps move large number of troops back, moving a couple battalions back from the border, given the amount of 
combat support that's there now to include medical, to include uh, logistics, to include the armors and, and, and the helicopters in particular is just not enough to say that they're not going to do this. So wait, wait. So now, now I'm lost. Are you telling me that the Russians can be bought out of engaging? Yeah, I think anyone. I think everyone has a number. <laughs> I think that. I think that that would be a win for him on on some level. I think he recognizes he doesn't want to destroy Ukraine at the same time. I, he's got to be torn, knowing that in order to take Ukraine, you likely have to destroy a great portion of it. He's going to destroy their military. He's going to create tremendous casualties. I, he's got to be thinking that in the back of his mind. You know, I saw something an interesting quote though that you know Saddam Hussein didn't you know didn't think George Bush would invade and. And, and Stalin didn't think Hitler would invade, and perhaps we're, we're talking ourselves out of Vladimir Putin invading. But um, I, I just the way I look at it right now, he, he needs that pipeline as badly as he needs anybody. And the question is, does, does China su- support and f- supply the financial backing that that, that pipeline would support or that pipeline is going to take away? I don't, I'm not sure Chinese have got that much uh, power within the international community from a financial perspective right now. We're going to keep keeping our eyes on it. That is Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. I like digging holes and hiding things inside them. When On the Durham investigation and what you've heard about that so far, your thoughts? This is a big deal. I mean, it, it's shocking to me that this is not receiving more coverage in the press. I don't think any of the Sunday shows mentioned it. But what we're talking about here is not simply the, you know, the, the probe using data scientists to make up a story or links to between Trump and Russia, but the White House. Apparently there was a private company that had a contract to manage servers for the president of the United States states and the White House, and they were sharing information to help build a narrative for a political operation. And you know why? The, if, if this is all proven true. It would be one of the biggest political scandals in American history. It would be a crime, no doubt about it. And it would tell you why these people think they can get away with it. They think they can get away with it because the media will not report on it. If this was the other way, if this was a story about the, how the Trump campaign had hired some data experts and others to go out there and, and do this to a, a President Clinton, this would be like we wouldn't be able to talk about anything else around here. He's absolutely right. That's Marco Rubio. You forget sometimes that when Marco Rubio is left to his own devices and he isn't trying to figure out how to slam Donald Trump, which he couldn't do, he was really good. You forget that he's got all the skill sets. He's got the presentation. He's got this down, man. Oh, it's just it's all the skill. And yet he doesn't seem to. Get over the edge with it. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. That's the number. Uh, I am I am less in the, hey, we won't see invasion camp than, than others, but I'm more than happy not to see an invasion. More than happy not to see an invasion if that is indeed the way it goes down. I... And want to get into Canada, we're going to get into the authoritarian Canadian conversation. And we're also going to be getting into more of what we have in terms of the filings from John Durham. But this story about Levi's, it's fascinating. The woke are everywhere and they are a nuisance, if not just a flat-out enemy. Jennifer Say, S-E-Y, I think that's how you pronounce it. 
She's president of Levi. We're talking about the jeans. We're talking about good gig. I mean, amazing gig. Forced out of her job because she was speaking out publicly against COVID-19 school closures in California. She wrote uh, over at the Substack for Barry Weiss, her common sense Substack, that she turned down an offer from Levi's of a million dollars severance because she didn't want to sign a non-disclosure agreement about why she had been pushed out. She has been with Levi's since 1999. Told late last year by the CEO that she was on her way to becoming the next leader of Levi if she would, quote, stop talking about the school thing. According to her, as reported by the New York Post, employees started complaining that she was publicly questioning whether schools had to be shut down in San Francisco in the beginning of the pandemic. You see, publicly questioning something that is the accepted uh, vernacular by the by the woke folk, those who have the secret knowledge, those who know more than you, solely by their existence. Well, that is cause for termination and destruction. You have to be ruined for these kinds of things. But Jennifer Say organized rallies. She spoke out in local meetings, a local media, attended meetings at the mayor's office, and she got condemned for it. She received a call from the head of corporate communications from Levi's telling her to pipe down. What would she have to pipe down about? This wasn't anything racial. This wasn't anything uh, financial. This was about her kids being in school, and she favored kids being in school. What in the world would you have to pipe down about? What did Levi's have to lose? What was going to affect their bottom line here? And so... um, she got she got the boot. She got complaints uh, from employees, and they accused her of being anti-science, anti-fat, and anti-trans. It should also be noted that she was accused of being racist because San Francisco's public school system was filled with black and brown kids. And uh, as she said, they said about her, I didn't care if they died. It turns out she has two black sons. You understand they don't care about your life. They care about your compliance. All you have to do is fall in line and they don't give a damn about anything else. They don't care about the facts. Their facts are meaningless. You know, just because you have black children doesn't mean that you can't also be a racist. Just because you're married to a black person doesn't mean you aren't also a racist. They got an answer for everything. And the answer is kiss off. You losers. You absolute worthless losers. It's good to see people fighting back. I look forward to where she lands next. Seems she might know how to run a clothing company. I'm sure that's got to be interesting to someone. I'm Tony Katz. Got that boyish look that I like in a man. I am an architect, I'm drawing up the plants. It's like I'm 17, nobody understands. No one understands. He got my heart huh. Why isn't that playing? It's just fascinating audio from uh, TikTok. There's a Twitter account called Liberals of TikTok. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, it's precious. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, how are you? 
833 got Tony 833-468-8669. Love to hear from you. I don't have a specific subject. Just, uh, I miss you. I miss you, Boo Bear. That's all. That's all there is. 833-GOT-TONY. This is the latest one that they've got posted. These are things happening on TikTok, and they highlight them. This is the latest. Black people, black people, colors only. I got a question. So you ever standing in public, right? You stand in public and you see white people. Do you ever get the urge to just, you know? (laughs) This is a a black woman whose name I, I don't know. According to the sources, she's a school teacher. Okay. And so the video is, do you ever get the urge when you see white people? You know that, you know that thing like 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 I'm I'm assuming producer Ari, I'm assuming you've done this a million times in your life. Right? You're just kind of like stepping up on somebody and you just, you know, you lunge a little bit forward, you're like, what? You ever done yeah, that? Yeah, make sure they know what's up. Right. Right. Because producer Ari needs to make sure you know what's up. Mm-hmm. So he he goes to you, he's like, what? Like that. So that's what this girl was doing. You know, like you're minding your business, like they're kind of minding their business, and you just just to scare them a little bit, just to scare them a little bit, just to scare them a little bit, just to give them the feeling like today's the day, today's the day that black people start retaliating, just to give them a little bit of the, the burning feeling inside. No, just me. Retaliate over what? I, it's, it's, it's a legitimate question. So, so I'm, is it me or, or is it my wife? Who, who is it that you're going to be doing this? We're, we're, we're both white. Uh, we can't help it. We were born that way. And, and, and so, so we're standing there, minding our own business, and now she's going to, uh, by the way, not according to her, we're kind of minding our own business because somehow we're doing something wrong because, you know, the color of our skin means, ooh, we can't be trusted. Do you, you realize how much she sounds like a freaking clan member? You see, you see, you can't trust those people. You can't trust those white people. They're they're always up to something. There's always up to something. Uh, uh, a little a little offbeat, you know. Uh, I would say shady, but we don't say that anymore. They're up to something a little off white. There's up to something just a little off, a little different, a little odd, a little peculiar. You know those people. You can't trust those people. That's so you got to step up on them. You got to make sure they know who's in charge. They know who's boss. Oh, and God forbid, God forbid. Um, you, you, you date one. Whoo! Oh, oh, we got something we do about that. That's what she sounds like. Every stereotype of the horror show that would have been uh, uh, the KKK in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, that's what this woman sounds like. Feel a little bit of the, feel a little bit of the what? It's, it's unreal. It's, it's a remarkable piece of video. And what's not remarkable is, of course, what's what's happening in society. What's happening is more and more and more and more and more and more of this. She felt fine with making this video because it's funny. It's funny to threaten people. It's funny to intimidate people. It's funny to scare people. And then after all, what are, what are they going to do? Because if they react, it's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? I didn't do anything. Everybody knows the deal, but everyone's afraid of the deal. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I the first person to say this out loud? There are people out there who want to act the fool. And they love this idea of, of like intimidating you. And then you react. It's like, well, what are you reacting for? I didn't do anything. It's, it's akin to when you were a kid and you went up to your younger sister and you put your finger right in, in, in your younger sister's face. And you're like, I'm not touching you. 
I'm not touching you. By the way, if you want to know an act that I thought as a kid was grounds for getting an ass kicking, that's it. All of that kind of stuff where you pretend because you're not touching somebody, you're fine. You're not touching somebody, so so all is cool. Oh, do I hate that stuff. And do I hate those people. Oh. You... You, you, you threaten people, you should expect that they're going to respond. And if you think for a second that the response is the problem, well, then you're not fully aware of the situation. But what cannot be denied is how much this woman sounds like a KKK member. How much of a bigot she sounds like. To just, you know, to... <laughs> You know, like, you're minding your business, like, they're kind of minding their business, and you just, just to scare them, just to scare them a little bit, just to scare them a little bit, just to scare them a little bit, just to give them the feeling like today's the day, today's the day that black people start retaliating, just. All black people? Now, wait a second. All black people? This woman on, on TikTok speaks for all black people? Maybe some black people are like, what in the world would I be retaliating for? Maybe some black people are like, yeah, this girl's a damn fool. Maybe they'd say something worse. Retaliating. When you hear things like that, you also realize that every conversation about equality has gone out the window, and this is why the conversation of equity is there. Equality isn't good enough. Equality doesn't get you enough. Equity gets you something, right? It isn't enough to start on an equal playing field. What you have to do is take from somebody else because that's what's fair. Retaliation, that's what's fair. Retaliation against who? Your neighbor? Who, when you moved in, didn't say anything except, hey, welcome, would you like a cookie? Retaliation against who? Me? The radio host? You want to argue what I've done to you? You've got no argument. You got a bunch of nonsense crap talking points. Oh, I'm sure you got plenty of those. But what do you have in terms of me? You don't even know me. But this woman doesn't know me. It's, it's a remarkable thing to say. Now, the fact that the, as the story goes, she's a teacher. Is this somebody you would allow to teach your kids? Is this somebody you would allow to teach your children? Would you allow her near your children? And uh, so, so for for the record, my answer is 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 no. You see, there's a way to to to, to do things. There's a way to uh, um, present uh, things. If you want to have an argument about or a conversation about race in America, you can. You want people to feel threatened. Uh, you're not a really a, a good American, nor are you a decent person. I'm interested in the decent people. She's not one of them. We should say so. I don't, I don't know why it's, it's sometimes so incredibly difficult uh, for people to say so. This is not something. This is not someone we should respect. This isn't somebody 
we should we should look up to. And people who are like, yeah, that's fun. Well, that's uh, that, if, if you find me the person who's like, yeah, I love that video, I'll find you the person I don't talk to. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, he is saying some absolutely perfect Joe Biden kind of things. You know, what else? What else could you possibly expect from the man? Harris-Biden administration. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. Got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the, go. You know the you know the thing. Say it ain't so, Joe. But it's Joe, so of course it's so. And Joe Biden is talking about Black History Month as only Joe Biden can do. And, well, you know. Black History Month is more than a celebration. It's a powerful reminder that black history is American history. Black culture is American culture. Black stories are essential to the ongoing story of America. Shining a light on black history is as important to understand in ourselves and growing stronger as a nation as it has ever been. And it's critical. So it's critical that we take the time to celebrate the contributions of black Americans, honors the legacy of generations past, reckons with centuries of injustice and confronts injustice that still festers today. I actually don't have an issue with anything said thus far. You should know your history. There are great black Americans in, in, in history. And if there is injustice, we should reckon with it. I, you get no argument from me on on those things. Not an ounce. You know, since taking office, Vice President Harris and I have been proud to build a government that looks like America. With trailblazing black leaders in my cabinet and distinguished black Americans serving in roles all across our administration, very soon I'll be honored to nominate the first black woman in American history to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Which is interesting because he's also a guy who prevented certain black women from being able to be nominated to other courts to keep Republicans from nominating the first. That, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. At the same time, we've worked hard to reverse decades of underinvestment in black communities, from vaccine shots in arms to checks in pockets to tax cuts for working families with children to landmark investment of $5.8 billion in historically black colleges and universities. Let's be clear. It was Trump who put an end to the idea that uh, the HBCUs had to come back year after year after year. They would come back year after year after year to get their funding. And he's like, what is this? Change that around. Changed it all around. Last year, we reduced poverty among black Americans by an estimated 34%. We cut black child poverty in half and helped more people gain health insurance through the Affordable Care Act than any year in history. Wait, the, the ACA, the Obamacare, was about black Americans? All right. He, he almost, for a, for a full 60 seconds, almost had it together. And it starts going off the rails. And now we're doing more. Removing lead service lines that have contaminated water for too many homes and schools. Delivering high-speed internet to every community so no families left behind. And making historic investments in transportation 
helping people get to good jobs quickly and safely, remediating environmental injustices that have hit black communities the hardest, delivering major investments to black entrepreneurs and small businesses to get the capital they need to grow, and doing everything we can to make the community safer and more prosperous. We're also working tirelessly to deliver on my Build Back Better agenda, bringing down the cost of childcare, housing, prescription drugs, and so much more without raising taxes for anybody making less than $400,000 a year. And we're not going to rest until we protect the foundation of our democracy, the sacred right to vote. As we celebrate Black History Month, let's carry forward the work of our lives together to dismantle systematic racism in every part of our society. And just like that, it fell apart. Nobody is happy with this address. The left, the right, this, this was standard talking point nonsense. What in the world does this have to do with black history? Remember, this was about a celebration of Black History Month. And what did he turn it into? Hey, here's what I'll do for you. Here's what I'll do for you. Here's what you need government to do for you. Here, you can't do it on your own. Here, government will do this for you. Here, government will provide that for you. What the hell kind of non-uplift message is this? How about an actual discussion of black history? So what are people saying? If you canceled student loans, that would help black families. Cancel all uh, historically black college and university student debt like you campaigned on. So he's getting punched in the face for it. And then, of course, he's being reminded that Biden said integrating black students would turn schools into a racial jungle. He said that in 1977. Biden has long been associated with this bigotry. Why do you think Kamala Harris referred to him as a segregationist during uh, the debates? Now, not a segregationist, but a really long history of saying dumb things and being around bad people. And none of it, none of it was about Black History Month. That is special. That is special. You, you, can't, be, you can't be worse than this guy, can you? You can't be worse at, at, at being unable to engage one thought. Everything has to be pandering nonsense. Joe Biden is just, th th this is typical progressivism, uh, beginning to end. That's all it is. And it's not appreciated by anyone. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. I worry that our military doesn't know how to fight. I worry that they are focused on all the wrong things. The U.S. Army goes green announcing new climate strategy. That was the headline over there at the New York Post. They've got a plan to tackle issues surrounding climate change, including the establishment of an electric vehicle fleet and a reduction of the branch's greenhouse gas submissions. They want to cut their emissions by 50% by 2030 from 2005 levels and reach zero net emissions by 2050. Now, allow me. If this leads to a better military, okay. If this leads to a better ability to fight, okay. If this leads to an equivalent level of fighting, I'm not 100% sure because I want to do things that make it, uh, the military better. If this is reduces our ability, if this, if this reduces our ability to deal with the enemy, 
by any percentage or anything after the decimal point, then this is the dumbest idea in the world, and everybody in charge in the military is a schmuck and needs to be thrown out. And now you understand how important elections are. I don't care about the environment when it comes to the military. It doesn't matter in relationship to being alive to then deal with the environment. Because China isn't going to worry about it and Russia isn't going to worry about it. Survival first. Well, we can't survive if the planet stops, stop, 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 stop. You sound like a lunatic. And I'm not really interested in the lunatic brigade today. I'm interested in rational thought. China would set the seas on fire if it meant victory. And you're going to worry about running too much gas? I'm not making an argument against smart policy. I'm making an argument against weakening the military. And anything that weakens the military is a bad idea. And anybody who's in favor of it in the military needs to be court-martialed and thrown out. And then uh, brought down to being a private. Actually, that's an insult to privates. I'm Tony Katz.